0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Zero Pain Philosophy podcast. I'm Carl. And I'm Matt. And together we founded Zero Pain Philosophy to bring the very latest in the world of pain management direct to you. This podcast is created specifically for you, our subscribers. Today we're going to look at either amantadine or memantine both of which are NMDA antagonists. And personally, I find these really useful drugs to have in my armory for treating chronic pain. If you'd like some notes from these sessions, you may already have seen our pain update section where we've got amantadine for chronic pain, and we also have a pain update there on amantadine versus memantine. So we're just gonna explore this topic a little bit further today. We're gonna to talk about why would you use either of those, How do they work? When should I use them? Which cases should I use them in? We'll explore central sensitization. We will, of course, touch on the evidence that we have. We will look at some pharmacokinetics in dogs and cats with regards to amantadine. I'm going to look at some case studies. It's really important that we discuss adverse effects as well, because if we're gonna recommend using these drugs, you've got to be able to talk to your owners about what they may expect to see and we can touch on cats as well and the role of amantidine or memantine in cats. So why would you use either of these? If we use arthritis as an example, at some stage that arthritis is going to progress and get worse. And I'm sure you've heard me say this before that our baseline drugs for treating arthritis, our first line drugs are non-steroidals. That's changed over the past couple of years. So we have non-steroidals, or we have Grappiprant, Galliprant as a licensed option for the first-line treatment of arthritis. And now, certainly in Europe, we have Bedinvetamab, Libralla, which is a monoclonal antibody against arthritis. And very close on the horizon is Silencia, the cat version so this is a monoclonal antibody, both of these are injections that are given once a month subcutaneously, licensed for the management of arthritis. So we already have a number of first line options but when we understand the processes involved with arthritis we have a a peripheral driver there feeding information into the central nervous system and at the level of the dorsal horn of the spinal cord this is where our focus is with regards to where the NMDA antagonists have their main site of action and the NMDA receptor is a channel glutamate binds to it and calcium is transmitted through that channel when, when the channel's open uh, calcium is the 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 ion that uh, that travels through that, that channel and activates the secondary neuron. Under normal pain transmission circumstances, pain is transmitted at the level of the dorsal horn by glutamate as the neurotransmitter through AMPA receptors. When we have either prolonged painful stimulus coming from the periphery, or very intense painful stimulus, we get activation of the NMDA channels, NMDA receptors, calcium channels and when we have that pain state we see upregulation of these receptors so we see more of them we see more transmission of painful stimulus. Under normal circumstances that calcium channel is blocked by a magnesium ion but when that secondary neuron becomes hyperpolarized in response to that input from the peripheral stimulus the magnesium block is removed and that channel is open up for transmission of that pain painful stimulus now the nmda antagonists that we have in our repertoire so amantadine memantine ketamine that is their site of action so they're closing that activated receptor so that's our our target as far as these drugs go in Dogs with arthritis, at some stage, they are likely to develop central sensitization if the peripheral stimulus is not particularly well managed. And we know from estimates what percentage of dogs are affected by arthritis, so 20 to actually up to 70% of dogs, some estimates will suggest. And we know that arthritis is diagnosed too late. So the chances are that those dogs presenting to us. Potentially a proportion of them will already have central sensitization. We can manage that by dealing with that peripheral stimulus, and that's always got to be our our first line, which is why I say non-steroidals, Benevetmab, Grappiprants, we need one of those drugs to deal with that peripheral driver. But we also need to think, do I have pain that isn't particularly well controlled? Your kind of classic example would be the dog you start on non-steroidals and it does really well, but then the dog just gets to a stage where it's plateaued. Arthritis being a progressive disease, is always going to get worse. This is why I explain to owners, at some stage, your pet is going to need a second agent. And when we consider the mechanism of central sensitization, it makes perfect sense that that second agent is an NMDA antagonist, such as amantadine or memantine. Mm. Now I've used arthritis as an example there but if we widen that out to other causes of chronic pain you can understand that if we have any peripheral pain driver that could be arthritis or it could be a neuropathic pain. So if we think a lesion or dysfunction of the somatosensory system where we have nerve damage and think of damaged nerves as a hive of electrical activity. So we have Uh, excess electrical activity in those nerves that is the peripheral driver stimulating driving the the formation of central sensitization at the level of the dorsal horn so we can have central sensitization from causes such as neuropathic pain so you can understand from that the rationale of using an NMDA antagonist in other types of pain such as neuropathic pain And I was a co-author on a case report uh, quite a number of years ago documenting the use of amantadine in a dog that had a a spinal, she had um, instability after a road traffic accident and we treated her with amantadine and that was the drug that made a real difference. So this dog had been partially responsive to non-steroidals, so dealing with that peripheral mechanism not terribly responsive to tramadol or paracetamol, when we added in amantadine, that was the drug that made the real difference. So that uh, peripheral stimulus, that, that the stimulus from the trauma and the the destabilization of the, the spinal cord was causing pain in that patient and amantadine did make a real difference. The other aspect that's really important to think about when we have chronic pain is addressing the imbalance in the endogenous analgesic system. And we have a a webinar that we've just added to the site recently on descending modulation and dealing with those imbalances in the endogenous analgesic system. So I would recommend you take a look at that because I think that that's fairly enlightening when we think across the pain processes dealing with the peripheral problem dealing with central sensitization and dealing what's going on in that top-down mechanism. So the ability to either put the brakes on that painful stimulus coming into the dorsal horn of the spinal cord or the body's maladaptive ability to actually facilitate that painful stimulus coming in. So that's another element that we can certainly address. So that's why we would use either. We need to target central sensitization we talked about how they work, so antagonists of the NMDA receptor. When should we use them? What well, I would recommend, certainly for your arthritis cases, I would recommend using the coast scoring system, so the canine osteoarthritis staging tool, to work out whether your patients are suffering from mild, moderate, or severe arthritis. And if you have cases of severe arthritis, then we can argue that we should probably start those patients on an NMDA antagonist much sooner than we would do in a case of mild arthritis. If we think about other causes of pain, we can use the Canine Brief Pain Inventory or the Helsinki Chronic Pain Index to work out how painful our patient is if we've got patients that are uh, scoring really high on our pain scoring system then again we have more evidence for adding in an nmda antagonist like amantadine or memantine much sooner in that treatment uh, decision pathway so let's have a think about how painful our patients are and you know i'm always going to recommend pain scoring as a baseline for monitoring your treatment moving forwards what evidence do we have? I've already mentioned our N equals one case study of the dog with neuropathic pain. The story with amantadine started back, it, it would have been before 2008. The, the LaSalle study was published around 2007, 2008. And this was a study that looked at the use of amantadine in conjunction with meloxicam in dogs with osteoarthritis that was considered resistant or refractory to non-steroidal therapy alone. So what they did is they took a this population of dogs, so they were client-owned dogs with osteoarthritis, and for the first seven days none of the dogs received any analgesia, so that was considered the washout. Some of those dogs may already have been on non-steroidals. Day 7 to 14, all of the dogs, so both groups, received meloxicam. At the 21-day time point, they were split into two groups, whereby half received amantadine and half received placebo. And the amantidine dose used in the study was 3 to 5 mg per kg per ROS once daily. Amantidine is a 100 milligram capsule. So if the dog was less than 37 kilos, they received 100 milligrams. If the dog was more than 37 kilos, they received 200 milligrams. The activities, the the outcome measures assessed in this study were the client-specific outcome measures. So each client was asked to assign behaviors to their pet that had change or behaviours that they associated with pain and they were asked to monitor these at each of those time points. They were also assessed on their activity levels and they also received a veterinary assessment. The results from this study showed that at day 42, so this was th- three weeks after being on that combination of amantidine meloxicam versus just meloxicam alone, that The dogs were more active based on the owner assessment and they were less lame based on the vet assessment. You may have heard that people say, oh, amantadine takes three weeks to start working. Well, it probably doesn't take three weeks to start working. It's just that in this study, that was the the first assessment time point was the three week time point. And I certainly had owners say, after starting amantadine within a week, their dogs are improving. So I wouldn't be bound to the, oh, it's going to take three weeks to work. However, we do know, having said that, for a number of drugs, particularly non-steroidals, we certainly know this for bed and vetmap, Librella, that it takes a while for some of those pain processes to start to unwind. So non-steroidals seem to hit their peak effects around six to eight weeks of treatment, and the same is true for Librella. So I don't think it hurts to say to owners, you you should notice a difference by the seven-day time point, but you will start to see differences at a month in, two months in. So we know chronic pain management is a long-term game, but I certainly wouldn't go making any decisions at the two-week time point that a treatment isn't working. Okay, what about the pharmacokinetics? We've got a dose that comes from the LaSalle study. I'm not entirely sure what that dose was originally based upon because the pharmacokinetic study in dogs came along in 2014. And that suggested a half-life of five hours when a dose of 2.8 mg per kg was used in greyhounds. So although LaSalle et al used that amantazine once a day and they were able to document a benefit, potentially, we may need to consider more frequent dosing. So my clinical approach to this is based on LaSalle's work. I always start mantidine once a day and run that for a month and monitor response. I do then say to owners, if we're not seeing a response by the month time point, then I would recommend we increase to twice a day. So, Based on the LaSalle study, they were able to document a benefit with SID dosing, but the pharmacokinetics suggests that we may need to increase frequency. Bear in mind that pharmacokinetic study was never coupled to a pharmacodynamic study looking at pain scoring. So pain scoring and pain pain levels or any type of pain assessment. So we don't actually have a study that directly links the administration and then assessment of plasma levels to a correlate of reductions in pain scores. So those are two separate studies. But I would say based on my clinical experience, once a day dosing is a sensible way to start. And if you don't see that full benefit after 30 days, then I would go to twice a day dosing. What about cats? There's a, a paper from 2011 looking at the pharmacokinetics of amantadine in cats. They showed a half-life of about five hours. So Again, it suggests that once-a-day dosing may not be um, enough to maintain adequate plasma levels. However, having said that, again, we don't know exactly what plasma levels should be that correlate to uh, analgesia. And that was using a dose of 4 mg per kg. So the cat dose, again, is still within the 3 to 5 mg per kg range. And I'm just going to jump up and grab my BSAVA formulary and see what that says there. Okay, so I have my BSAVA formulary to hand. This is where I, I like to have a common reference. And I know BSAVA, it's a UK organisation, but I think it's quite well recognised internationally. And a lot of the doses in the BSAVA formulary, you can, you can also access them through WSAVA as well. So BSAVA formulary has got dogs, three to five mix per per ross, Q, 24 hours. Yes, we agree with that. Cats, 1 to 4 mg per kg per OS, 24 hours. Start at the lowest dose, increase slowly. Dose recommendations anecdotal and not based on evidence and clinical research. Personally, I tend to use 3 to 5 mg per kg as well in cats, um, similar to dogs. And I think we can see from the the study, I can't pronounce this person's surname, S-I-A-O, S-I-A-O et al. Twenty. 11, half-life of approximately 5 hours following 4 mg per kg. I haven't seen any adverse effects that would make me think that we need to start lower and increase the dose in cats, if I'm entirely honest with you. So that's dosing and rationale behind the dosing. Shall we just touch on adverse effects before we go any further? I see very few adverse effects with amantadine in either dogs or cats, and this is something that I discuss with owners. When I dispense amantadine, I produce one of the the BSAVA off-label drugs information sheets to send home with owners, and that is a really useful sheet. BSAVA don't yet have one for memantine, so we have to to, um, make some adaptations to that. What have I seen from an adverse effect point of view? Some owners describe dogs maybe look like they have some slightly vacant funny episodes. Um, that's, that is described uh, fairly rarely, I want to say, and I'm not entirely sure what we attribute that to. Probably more common, I have seen watery diarrhoea, and that tends to resolve if you stop the treatment. And then when I've previously reintroduced the amantazine again to those patients, they've been absolutely fine on a second time. So again, don't know why exactly that happens, but those are both things worth um, mentioning to those owners because that's quite a big surprise if you come home and find the dog's had watery diarrhoea and, and we didn't warn you about it. So those are the two adverse effects that we see. What about the use of amantadine alongside a ketamine infusion or the use of subcut ketamine? This is quite a common question that I get. And, okay, if I'm going to start amantadine or memantine, should I give a ketamine injection first to to get them started? I have to say, in the past, I tend to just start amantadine or memantine. I've been using amantadine for a lot longer, I would say, than I have been using subcutaneous ketamine. And let's leave subcutaneous ketamine as a topic for another podcast. But you can read my experiences with subcutaneous ketamine in the pain update section. So, in some patients, I will give a subcutaneous ketamine and then send them home with amantadine or memantine, and I haven't seen any adverse effects that. I would attribute to that combination. But again, we, we just have zero evidence for that combination. We, have, we only have anecdotal evidence for the use of subcutaneous ketamine. Let's just say that for the time being. What about cats? My approach to cats with chronic pain would be to try and start them on a non-steroidal first. We know that non-steroidals are really effective, but then we also know that quite a few cats won't tolerate non-steroidals. As a second line agent for either osteoarthritis or many other etiologies of pain, let's put it that way, I personally think gabapentin is, is an effective analgesic in cats. Again, we have very little stroke zero evidence on this. But I would always use gabapentin at twice daily dosing in conjunction with a non or if you can't use a non use the gabapentin alone. If you then find you need to add something else in there, then the rationale we talked about before with our peripheral drivers with central sensitization, it makes sense to add in an NMDA antagonist. And amantadine and memantine are both available as liquids, but they tend to be really expensive. Now, in the UK, you can get amantadine tablets formulated in smaller sizes from both Summit and Bova. So that is a sensible option for cats. I'm not sure about crushing the tablets with food. Um, you can't, you shouldn't really open the capsules, but I think the the, the tablets are probably okay to mix in food, um, if we're talking about ease of administration of owners. The amantidine, and liquids, I think they're a little bit bitter, and they're very expensive. So they're much more expensive than and the tablets or the capsules are. What about amantadine or memantine? Why do we choose one over the other? I would always, as my first line, baseline, what's the, as close to gold standard recommendation as we can get, I would start with amantadine because we have the evidence from the LaSalle study and off the back of that evidence I have a lot of personal experience of using it, so I'm very comfortable with using amantazine and the effects that I expect. Going back probably over seven years ago, we couldn't get amantazine for a while and we were looking for an alternative, as which is where memantine came from as a suggested alternative given its mechanism, very similar mechanism of action. Where do we get a dose from? The dose for memantine that we use, so 0.3 to 1 mg per kg SID, comes from a study looking at canine compulsive behaviours. So we have a dose in dogs and the use of memantine in conjunction with behavioural modification therapy did reduce the compulsive behaviour in those dogs. We don't actually have any studies looking at the analgesic effects of memantine beyond anecdote. So when we couldn't obtain amantadine, people started using memantine instead of. And I think based on those experiences, people have carried on using memantine. The other advantage with memantine is it is significantly cheaper. So my advice would always be to start with amantadine. And I have this conversation with clients, quite honestly, I say, this is the evidence. This is why I recommend starting with amantadine. However, amantadine is significantly more expensive than memantine. If clients can't afford amantadine, of course I want to give them the next best option, which I consider to be memantine. And I do use that dose 0.3 to 1 mcbc SID. The dose actually comes from the size of the tablet. It's very similar to the imantazine story. Where does 3 to 5 mg per gig come from? It's based on the 100 milligram capsule sizes that they use in the LaSalle study. Memantine is available as 10 milligrams and 20 milligrams. And you can order both of these quite freely from your wholesaler or you can write clients a prescription and they can just take that to their local pharmacy. Um, these drugs are both available. They're not scheduled drugs or controlled drugs. So, yes, they are easy to obtain on a prescription. That's the story on amantadine or memantine and the choices between the two, I would say. How about... Librella, Benvet Mab and Amantidine. This is quite a, a kind of new question because we've been using Librella for about two months now. I've got I've got about 30 dogs I've treated with Librella and they're all coming up for their or having their their second injection. Uh, no, that it'll be that coming up to their third injection, won't it? They're all coming up to their third injection over the next couple of weeks. Like I say, at some point arthritis is going to progress and get worse, we need to recognise when that arthritis progresses, and I would recommend pain scoring. The most recent pain update we have on zero pain looks at pain scoring, so please take a look at that. Work out when the pain is going to progress. Talk to the clients in either the first or the second consultation of, of those arthritic dogs when we've got a newly diagnosed arthritis case or we've inherited an arthritis case that's not doing so well. At some point they're going to need a second option. I guess what we don't know with labrella is how well does labrella control the arthritis pain longer term. We know it takes up to eight weeks to see the peak effect but once we've hit that peak effect how comfortable are those dogs at that peak effect of labrella and when do we add something else in. Personally I love the cane and brief pain inventory for this. And I tried to develop client-specific outcome measures with each owner, so three to five behaviours that are associated with pain or have resolved with the pain improving because of our treatment. So yes, at some stage we are going to need to add a second agent, and I see no reason why we shouldn't use amantazine alongside Librella. I do have cases at the moment of severe arthritis that are on multimodal treatment, where I have added Librella into amantadine or memantine therapy. Don't forget that as a subscriber, you do receive a certain number of free case consultations and you can just use the the case consultation form on the website. I would really like to hear if you've got difficult cases that you would like some advice on. Or if you've just got some questions, you can either email us, contact at zeropainphilosophy.com or even better, I'd love you to actually put the questions on our forum pages, because if you have a question, chances are someone else has got a question, then we jump on there, we answer that question and everybody has visibility over that, so everyone can, can share in that case management and we can learn together. So I think that's a wrap on the amantadine, memantine story. I hope you found that useful, and like I say, we will come back another day and talk about ketamine subcutaneously and ketamine infusions as a rescue for your pain clinic cases. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a great day. As I say, uh, send me some questions if you have um, those popping into your head.